0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at WeareLibertarians.com.
1: Welcome to We Are Libertarians Daily. Uh, I'm Sarah Brady Wagner here with the guru of our research team, John Hody.
0: (laughs) Hody Johns is the name, but thank you, Sarah.
1: Oh, see, I always get the two mixed up. I'm sorry. You
0: know, my last name is a common first name, and my first name sounds like it should be a last name, so you're not the only one on that one.
1: <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here.
0: Well, thank you. It's good to be here. Good to be here.
1: So today, um, Hody and I had just decided to sit down to discuss um, one of the topics that kind of gets us to a a great granular cross-section of uh, the law and of our different uh, interpretations of morality and ethics. And uh, m- one of the things libertarians love, which is markets.
0: Yeah. What, so you don't want to tune out on this episode. I know for me, you first hear it, you hear, oh, in vitro fertilization. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be a part of it. I don't know why I'd need to talk about it. Maybe I'll just skip this podcast. Absolutely do not. It impacts you somehow. We talk about issues all the time being used on a minority of people they make laws and then they expand that to the majority this is very classic in this case
1: so uh, one of the things that we want to talk about is the market involved in everything that goes into this Uh, that there are different prices for all the different things involved and Hody, you uh, had looked up some of those prices and you could tell us more about that.
0: Yeah. So as far as the market goes, one of the tough things when you study in vitro fertilization is it's got like 20 steps, and each of those steps is preceded by the word usually, which means there's a lot of opportunities for something unusual to happen during in vitro fertilization. So it's hard to imagine that everyone has a typical experience with it or that there is a typical experience with it. When you look online, you say, well, how many eggs were removed? How many got fertilized? You'll get six, you'll get 30, you'll get 40, you'll get 15. It's all over the map. It really depends on your doctor. It depends on where you went. Um, As far as the exact cost goes, and I'm just getting this from WebMD The average cost of an IVF cycle in the US Is approximately $12,400 That's per cycle um, And that's one of the things that I kind of wanted to go into As far as what a cycle is Because to be honest with you When I started this I didn't know much. I didn't know the difference between it Artificial insemination what, what am I even looking at So I had to get a lot of the, those medical definitions down Understand exactly what we were talking about
1: so, so let's kind of back up to to discuss the, exactly that. What is in vitro fertilization, and why would it be something that somebody would have to consider?
0: Sure. Super quick quick synopsis. Again, this is off a of WebMD. A uh, lot of usually words thrown in here, but let me give you the typical experience. Uh, the first step in IVF involves injecting hormones so that you produce multiple eggs each month instead of only one. You will then be tested to determine whether your egg. Uh... Um. Howdy. Yep.
1: We could, sorry. We could just uh, backtrack. We haven't explained uh, what it is. Like we need to cover that this is something that you would do if you aren't able to have a child naturally, or if you are a same-sex couple. Like we haven't actually covered that this
0: oh, fertility treatment. Sure. So I mean, as far as like subjects that would consider IVF, a lot of it is let's see. I mean, the one that they say is the most common is a couple that is just having trouble maintaining a pregnancy. Obviously uh like a uh i guess you need a mother still you need a womb so as far as same sex couples you got half of those same sex couples that would look into a treatment like this um if you're having trouble carrying to term uh it can involve someone else's sperm so say if the father's sperm is completely um non-viable or um or or even another egg so yeah i mean now you had some experiences as far as when you looked into this as far as um like what was your experience with why you would look into IVF?
1: Um, so IVF is a, a method of fertility treatment that couples who are unable to produce a natural pregnancy or child for whatever reason they um, are able to go into. It's a way that medicine and science helps couples to be able to reproduce that wouldn't naturally be able to otherwise. Sometimes that means same sex couples. In my case, that means um, a heterosexual couple who are um, missing one of the ingredients. Uh, For some couples, they have um, issues on the woman's side where they're either unable to carry a pregnancy or do not have um, viable or usable eggs. Sometimes the problem is on the man's side where they're not viable or usable sperm. Um, Sometimes it's a combination of issues where you may have viable gametes, which is the sperm and the eggs, but you're not able to create a viable embryo. And we have this wonderful flourishing market, um, that provides solutions to all of these, uh, missed ingredients. And it's a very interesting case because it's also a market that, um, it functions differently than the rest of our medical, um, our our medical markets in the United States, because it's largely one that's ignored by insurance.
0: Right. I mean, it's not going to save your life. It's, trying to create a life, I guess, rather. So it's, Right. Yeah. And it's very cutting edge. I mean, this is pretty new stuff, right?
1: It is. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because the, uh, the technology is always improving. And um, one thing that you had said there is that it's interesting that the prices always include usually because there's no guarantees with fertility medicine. You are trying to eventually get a baby in the end, but there's so many different things that could happen. Anywhere along the route, and you might have to try a different method. And there's always a—it's at least what I discovered. There's always a more advanced um, method available that is a little less reliable uh, and a little more expensive. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that, that is so true. And and you'll get—you uh, know—the clinics can promise different uh, success rates or failure rates. And a lot of times, you're looking at. Uh, uh, man, I mean, I've seen some clinics that are very expensive but guarantee that like 40% rate and some that are less successful but a little bit cheaper and you get like the 20% rates and you're kind of somewhere in that range. And it's it's got to be hard for anybody going through it when you realize that even the good ones aren't a 50% chance per cycle and the cost of that cycle is $12,400 every time. You've got to really want a kid here, right?
1: Yeah, well, and it's interesting when you compare it to um, the easy alternative that's often offered, which is adoption, which is another market that, in comparison, uh, does have a guaranteed uh, child. Or, I mean, I wouldn't say guaranteed, but even within that, you know, there's a lot of um, still ifs. But sure. there is uh, at the end, there is already a, a living child. There's not just a chance that you will pay this much money and may still get nothing at the end. But it also comes with a lot more government regulation around it, um, and it ends up being easily twice the price of trying one round of IVF. Um, wow. I've always found that interesting that that we make it more expensive to try to adopt children than we do to try and create new ones that you wouldn't have been able to normally.
0: It, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't looked into the adoption thing. I am happily childless at the moment, but uh, you know that could... That could change. Uh, what what happens? How does the market create itself where it's so expensive to adopt a child or to get an IVF? What's going on where we have extra embryos or we have extra children or something like that, and we just say there's too many of them, but it's really expensive to get a hold of them? That seems to be against what supply and demand would tell me.
1: Well, this is where it really gets into kind of the, the ethical part of it is folded in. Because the value that we put on different things, um, the value that we put on human life and what we consider a person is signi- like infinitely more significant than that which we put on a thing. And when we look at the legal context of this whole discussion, uh, a child that can be adopted is a person and must uh, be given a lot of legal and moral um, deference because of that. But when you're discussing eggs and sperm, which are gametes, or even fertilized embryos, these are all just considered property under the law. Okay. And bec- but they're also a special kind of property, which is one that is um, illegal to buy or sell. Like in the United States, you can't buy or sell. You cannot pay someone to donate their blood. You can compensate them for their time. And the same is true when it comes to sperm and egg donations. Um, you can compensate men for their time when donating sperm, You can compensate women for the time they put in to go through egg retrieval. And that's where the market then is reflected very well in the difference in price that you can get to be compensated for your time. It takes a lot more time to go through egg retrieval than it does to go through a sperm donation.
0: Okay. So what you're touching on really heavily now is what I'm sure a lot of listeners right now are just saying, when does life begin? Oh my gosh, this is turning into when do life? When does life begin? Argument, and that is absolutely a huge part of i v f and a huge part of I guess controversy where people want the laws to go on this. This is kind of a frontier where there aren't a lot of laws on this right now yet, but there's going to be more unless the libertarians yeah. have their way with it you know so 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 what's what are your thoughts? I guess I'll just say in general. I mean, just providing some numbers here, you know that. We're going to retrieve some eggs. We're going to fertilize multiple eggs. We're going to have some that we're not, some fertilized eggs that we're not going to put back into the mother. And they usually put at least three into the mother and hope that one is viable. So we are talking about fertilized eggs that are being wasted, destroyed, um, perhaps frozen, but then frozen for how long? I mean, what, what are your thoughts on right to life? I guess in this stage.
1: Um, to me, this is learning more about kind of fertility markets and, and the way we, we go through this has really made that a, a more granular argument for me. And I don't, I mean, I don't really have any, any clear answers that I could give. But um, it, as you were saying, the, the process that it goes through makes you much more aware of um, that there is this gray area involved during gestation where there is a point which legally um, we put that point in viability. Which is the point where a child could live on its own outside of a mother, and anything before that, um, you're still dealing with some sort of potential of being a full life, not in, or not necessarily being a full life, because once you know you have a scientific definition of alive, but what we're debating is personhood. It's when a individual life has to be taken into account and weighed morally. So. Um, some people will go to the point of arguing that, you know, animal lives have to be held morally in equal amount to human lives. But when it comes down to the abortion debate, the question is, at what point does this become a person rather than just a human life? Um, and and if you say that that is at the point of conception, then IVF becomes a problem, because in IVF, we, as you would said, create more live embryos than in a lot of cases, people ever have an intent to use. Um, And that's something we do in order to achieve the, to increase the chances of success of having a live baby by the time you're done. Uh, You know, as you're saying, if you're a couple and you can go through and try and retrieve as many eggs as you can, and you may end up with five embryos at the end, you got lucky and the first two that you used both worked, you got two children, now you've got three left over and you never had an intention of having five children. Yeah. And the question becomes legally, um, what do we do with those embryos? And then morally, there's the other question of what should you do with those? There is, uh, for in most cases, those embryos are either intentionally destroyed um, or they are left in long term storage with kind of in a limbo where nobody ever intends to use them, but there's a strong emotional attachment that the biological parents or legally the owners have to them um understandably because they they these are their children biologically um and with the potential that if they were to ever go through um allowing that embryo to gestate they may result in another live child but is that necessarily the same as a child that's already been born
0: Sure well if you want to see people's feelings on it you need look no further we had two disasters this year in which uh, a fertility clinic had frozen embryos uh, i think one of them the thermometer failed or the alert system failed and one of them the the cooling failed and and you saw the reaction from the people that had embryos destroyed you saw how i mean I, and in fairness i'd say the clinics were heartbroken as well both of them delivered a very horrified response to it so there's there's certainly that but to to go back just a second here. It's one of those. So, so what I saw is, is when we talk about, you know, you talk about, you know, viability outside the womb. Is that what creates a human life? There's a lot of feelings around it. And I think there has to be, because I don't know that you can scientifically prove when it's a life or when it's not. We all have our own definitions. We all have different feelings about it. Um I have had experience in my life before I knew what I want to do with life. I worked in a hospital and we had some abortions and I did some, you know, intubations and, and things like that. And I, and and I was around them. And I don't fault anyone who gets one. I I would say I'm absolutely pro-choice. I don't like the government defining what I, what someone can do with their bodies. That's a scary realm for me. I think it's also scary. And I understand pro-life libertarians to say, letting the government define what is life and what is not, and when they can pull the plug on you is also scary. I think there's a very liberty-minded argument to be had both ways. You know, so at some point I felt ishy, and sometimes I feel okay. The morning after pill, I kind of feel okay, I, you know, just, just personally. And I'm sure everyone feels differently about it, but I don't have, like, a moral sickness around it. Versus even sometimes before viability, they'll, you know, it it's – and I hate to be graphic, but I, I mean, it just is that sometimes they'll stick an egg beater up there and you'll see a couple of fingers and toes and just it doesn't feel good, you know, for me. And, and I just didn't like it at, at, at a certain point. Is it always going to be up to the person or, or, or what's your feelings on it?
1: Well, I, I find it interesting that you, you mentioned the morning after pill, because I think that's very equivalent to what we were talking about here. Oh, yeah. uh, the morning after pill, the way that it works is it does not prevent fertilization um so in that case there is an embryo so the embryo is inside the womb what it does is it prevents implantation which is exactly what is being prevented when you create embryos and keep them in storage rather than having them trying to implant um so i I mean the logical consistency at least would say that if if you um hold that there you know i guess what i'm trying to say is is it's interesting to have this discussion and to really, um, think deeply about it to determine where you draw the line of where the gray area starts. Cause for some people it's not gray area, um, before implantation, uh, for some people, this whole conversation seems a little bit, you know, a, a little bit out there and, um, strange that we would be discussing the moral implications of, you know, a clump of cells at the embryonic level, you know, it's only five days old. It's, 16, but you can cells. start.
0: But some people, I have no doubt, might not feel good about it. Might not feel comfortable exactly. saying, "Let's get rid of it," even though it's. I believe in IVF they inject after five cells ish. From what I saw, we're, we're you know started to happen. I guess.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, you can go with um a few different ages. Usually, like three to five day embryos. Um, yeah. yeah. But so so let's let's actually talk a little bit about the um, the economic market side of this. So I had we discussed before that it was um, it, it's a market that's largely um, un unencumbered by the insurance industry, which in the United States does a large part for um, inflation and obscuring prices, uh, which you don't necessarily see in the uh, fertility markets. So uh, what are the prices then of human eggs or human sperm, even though it's not something that you can directly purchase from an individual, but you could purchase it from a sperm bank or, um, a clinic that does egg donations.
0: Whew. I mean, as far as like financially goes, the price of human life, again, is one of those very subjective things. There's some people that, that would, I certainly don't point to this, but that overpopulation is an issue or that, you know, hey, if you can't have a kid, you have a kid and don't worry about it. It's, it's you know, what, what? why are you letting your animal instincts drive you to say I need to have a child if you just don't have, aren't able to conceive normally, maybe you just shouldn't conceive. I think it's important to remember though, there are, according to my numbers, 200,000 plus babies out there, humans out there that were conceived through IVF. That's somebody you might know that would not exist without it and i know that for me and i'm a very left brain i'm part of the research team like you said i'm a very logical i love numbers it is hard to imagine a world where they just say oh that friend of yours never happened because the law the cost something like that um we're looking at a frontier here um one of the things that i wanted to make sure that i got clear is 99% of the time when we talk on a libertarian podcast, we're talking about the government has infected something, and you got to pull it out. Right now, we're going to try to keep the government away from something. Uh, I I was looking online, and there's a a study out of the University of Arizona that is calling for more regulation on this already. So what's a libertarian to do? What do we do with these costs? How do we help combat the costs? How do we help combat the government? Um, Where do we go from here?
1: Um, so, well, I mean, like you said, a lot of it is um, trying to focus on keeping the government from adding additional encumbrance, um, and that requires looking at the arguments of why people do want there to be additional uh, regulation and finding ways to explain uh, why the solutions are often more damaging than the problems that they're trying to solve. Yep. So, you know, in the case of IVF, it's a lot of uh, there's a lot of concerns about you know potential harms. Like you'd said, there are 200,000 children who wouldn't exist without it. Um, there could also be uh, some ethical questions around whether or not uh, that's good for the overall genetic mixture of the human race. You know, if you have people who are not able to naturally um, pass on their genes, are those genes that uh, the population is better for still having?
0: Oh my, yeah, when we're comparing genetics too, and this is out of Reason Magazine, I mean, we're to the point with IVF, we've advanced enough now to say, this one's probably going to have blue eyes, this one might be a little bit healthier, this one's legs might work a little better. There's a huge moral burden when you say, I want these three eggs of the eight successful whatever eggs, however many eggs got fertilized, I want these three, four, five eggs to go into me and the rest of these to not is this some kind of brave new world scary situation or is this one of those additional choice that's great and these lives weren't going to be around without it regardless so either way we're creating life and not taking life away uh yeah where do you stand on that
1: Um uh, well you know there there is a, a free market solution i also want to touch on on um, yeah. to kind of that has that has been a um a step into this kind of moral gray area of of what do you do with these uh, extra frozen embryos, which is embryo adoption or donation. Um, Again, it's something where you can't uh, legally sell the embryos off, but some parents choose to rather than destroying the embryos, um, they can give them to another couple who can then adopt the embryos, have them implanted and birth that child out. And it's (laughs) uh, legally, it's a much easier adoption because, on paper, legally, whoever births a child is a parent to a child. Genetics do not matter. So um, the costs associated are also much lower than going through IVF and having um, your own eggs used, for example. You can go through an anonymous donor program for between six and $10,000 to try to implant one donor embryo um, compared to ten dollars to $12,000 to try to go through one round of um, IVF. For some couples, particularly, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of enthusiasm about this among kind of the religious right, the um, Christian conservatives who really strongly take that idea that life begins at conception very seriously, and because of that, um, choose to try to give they the the term that um, is often used is "snowflake babies."
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> there, there's there's a oh, there's there's a lot of, of of emotion that can be built up around that idea of these are. These are children that they're, they're frozen in, you know, cryogenic uh, stasis and waiting for families to take them. Otherwise they're going to die.
0: So you're telling me Christian conservatives (laughs) can have snowflake babies. Yes. There's there's some contradiction in there from what I (laughs) wrote.
1: There's snowflake adoption agencies. (laughs) Sure.
0: sure. (laughs) That's funny that they've, that the Christian conservatives have elected for that name, but uh, uh, that's funny. Yeah. You know, it's funny that that you're talking about this because it seems like while we discuss these these issues where we have heartfelt feelings, suddenly the free market, what you're telling me is finding a way to make it so that those people who are worried about conception can have their way and that the people who want that choice, who want that option can have their way as well. And Mm -hmm. it's becoming cheaper. So instead of Saying it's either these guys or those guys, the free market is finding a way to say maybe it can be both.
1: Yes, but then it's still an issue where there is some government regulation that stands in the way of this market perhaps um, even providing a better solution. So we've talked a couple times that um, there's no, you can't legally purchase any of these um, parts, any embryos or, or gametes. And because of the cost that goes into producing, the embryos um, that kind of creates a, a bit of an incentive um, clash for some people who have extra embryos and don't have any specific ideas of what they want to do with them. Like we've talked about, they kind of end up in limbo.
0: Gotcha. If
1: the parents in that case had the option of recouping some of the costs of um, going through creating those embryos by then selling them to families that are interested in purchasing them, mm-hmm. they might be more willing to do so. The market, and I—I I speak from experience on this one because this is—is actually my husband and I have um, have searched for trying to find an embryo match, uh, trying to find a couple that will just willingly decide to give us some of their extra embryos. It's a really tight market because it's a matching market,
0: sure. and
1: anybody who's ever tried to date knows how hard matching markets are uh, because it's oh not boy. just an issue of I picked you; yeah. you have to pick me too.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. So I I I guess we should start wrapping up here and I guess just to deliver my final thoughts on this is this is such an important to get in on right now no matter where you stand on abortion, right to life. If you are a libertarian, this is just kind of something you need to look into right now and tell your congressperson before they look into this issue and provide more regulation and provide more obstruction on this. It's moving into a direction where people like Sarah can Find an embryo, a child, a potential child, you know, and it's moving into a place where the the life happens at conception. People can have their way, and it's moving into a place where the the freedom of choice people can have it their way to do what they want with their bodies, and it's becoming cheaper. I mean, these are that. I mean, that's really a trifecta of great things that's happening with IVF right now, and it will obviously become a bad thing if we say only one side or the other can have their way, and if the government gets involved, I don't even have to tell you what's going to happen with the cost of the whole thing so so I'll leave you with that uh, Sarah, if you want to wrap us up
1: <laughs> yeah I just um you know it's it's a really deep subject that once you get into if there's rabbit holes everywhere that you can um, discuss with family members and it can you know really give you a chance to talk about some of these more complex subjects, um, that can really cause some intense arguments. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had somebody bring up abortion at Thanksgiving, but uh, oh, family. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a different angle to kind of come at that conversation and really talk about what are the things that we all mean by these.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, You know, uh, uh, if you want to follow me on Facebook, name's Hody Johns, H-O-D-E-Y. I should be the only one of those, but if you need that last name, J-O-H-N-S. Best thing you can do, subscribe to We Are Libertarians. If you're listening to this and you're already a subscriber, good for you. You found the best libertarian podcast out there, bar none, as ranked by ourselves. And so so just please support us, share this episode if you really enjoyed it. Uh, Sarah, how can they find you?
1: Um, Anyone can look me up on Facebook as well. Sarah Brady Wagner. Um, Also, be sure to check out the Fundamental Freedoms videos that come out every Sunday at 8pm on the We Are Libertarians YouTube channel. And um, please, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you um, enjoy listening to the varied perspectives offered by We Are Libertarians, then be sure to check out our Patreon and join the network to help continue uh, continue the conversations.
0: All right. Thank you, Sarah. Have a good night, guys.